Hi, it's Dom here, pastor at Assemble Church, and this is our podcast. We hope you find what you're looking for today and that you are challenged, inspired, and equipped to live out the life that God has for you. Enjoy the message today. Good morning, everyone. Um, for those of you that don't know, uh, my name is Samantha. Dom and I, my husband, are the pastors here at Assemble. Uh, and as, um, as Rich mentioned, we've been going through a series over the last number of weeks looking through the Gospel of John. And uh, I, don't, I know I'm not the only one in saying this because and a couple of you have said to me as well how much you've been enjoying going through a whole book, going through it chapter by chapter each week. And for me, it's just been really good to spot some things that we don't always see when we take bits of scripture um, more in isolation. When we see the whole book, we see the context of what's written. We um, know the intention of the author. We can start to see patterns and things uh, in the scripture And um, it's not just within one book that we can see these patterns and see how everything holds together. Through the whole of Scripture, the whole thing holds together. We get to see um, sometimes in Scripture references, don't we, back to bits of Old Testament Scripture sometimes. We looked at those, well, almost every week we see one, something maybe that Jesus has said, and it's him quoting Old Testament Scripture, and we get to see all of that hang together. We get to see uh, foreshadowing and we get to see prophetic words that then come to completion as we see the Bible as the whole thing. And we get to see patterns repeating. And uh, we're going to have a look at one of those patterns today as we open scripture together. Lord, I pray that as we open your word, you would speak to us. I pray that you would use me this morning, Lord. I pray that um, everything that is of you will stick and everything that's of me will fall away. Uh, And I pray, Lord, that we can learn more of you together this morning. Amen. Amen. So we're going to have a little bit of a journey through some Old Testament scripture this morning before we look at John chapter 4, um, which is where our main scripture is for today. Um, so we're going to be looking at a pattern this morning, as I've mentioned, and the Bible isn't the only place, is it, that we spot patterns. We see patterns in the world around us. We see them in conversations that we have. We see them in scenarios that play out. If you think, for example, you may have heard a conversa- you may have had a conversation with someone and they've got a friend with them and they've been a friend for a very long time and they're talking about how they met and maybe they met on the first day of school and they were buddied up together and they've been friends ever since. And that's quite a common pattern, isn't it, that we see in friends that we have. Or it might be that you're talking to a couple and they're married now, but it started in that they became best friends and then they fell in love and they got married and it's this pattern that we see over and over again you know sometimes when someone's telling us a story we know how it's going to play out before we've heard the whole thing don't we because it follows a a regular pattern a um, recognizable pattern you know media we see it in media all the time as well this is probably the Second time in maybe three weeks that Instagram Reels have been mentioned from the platform. Uh, but for those of you that don't know, that don't know Instagram Reels are like 30-second short videos uh, that are on Instagram. And often the way they work is someone will have made a video that is to a piece of music or maybe a quote from a film or something like that. And the video they put with it somehow relates to the audio. And then someone will pick that up and run with it. And then you'll see someone else will make one that's very similar and someone else will make one that's very similar. And they all follow the same pattern. And so when you're watching a video and you hear that piece of music start, you know exactly what pattern that video is going to follow. So an example of this, um, one that you see quite a lot is one where it says at the start, can we skip to the good part? 
and usually it will be a pile of like some craft material or I don't know some kind of project or some people sat looking sad in an airport and then some music will start and they skip to the good part and the next part of the video is the finished project or them on a beach on holiday and it's skip to the good part and every time you watch one of those videos and you hear the can we skip to the good part you know what's coming you know the pattern we see it in film too don't we two people hate each other at the start and they're married by the end or um a villain has been caught, no, all the way around. A villain has caught the good guy and he spills all his secrets of what he did and why and then the good guy turns it around and wins in the end. And we know what's coming, don't we? We know what's coming. Sometimes we do this thing at home where if we're watching like a murder mystery type programme and one of us thinks we know who's who done it, we pause it, like, just for the record, this is what I think. And then we check at the end whether we were right. We do that a lot, don't we? Yeah, it's usually me because I like to be right more than Dom does. But, um, but we do that because we recognise the pattern and we recognise where it's going. But sometimes we get a little, bit of a, a little bit of a twist. Sometimes people break the pattern just to show us something a little bit different. Uh, just show us something a little bit different. And hopefully we'll see some of that this morning. But I think it's about time we open the scripture, don't you? I've been chatting for a while now. We haven't looked at any scripture. So let's open our Bibles to uh, Genesis chapter 24. And that's where we're going to start this morning. Um, it may be that um, if you saw the video we put out on social media this week, you may have seen um, some extra bits of Old Testament scripture to read this week. So maybe you already know maybe what this pattern is that we're going to be talking about. Uh, but if you haven't, never fear, we're going to look through all this scripture together this morning and explore it and open it together. So um, Genesis chapter 24, we're going to start reading from verse 10, uh, but just a bit of context. Abraham uh, is getting to be an old man and his son Isaac is in need of a wife. And so Abraham asks his chief servant if he will go out and uh, go back to the land of Ab that Abraham is from and find his son Isaac a wife. And so we pick up in verse 10, it says, Then the servant left taking with him 10 of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds uh, all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram Naharaim and made his way to the town of Nahor. And so we see the first step in this account is that someone is going on a journey. The servant is going on a journey to a place called uh, Aram Nahain. I think, am I remembering that right? Yes, Aram Naharaim. Excellent. And so then in verse 11, what happens when he gets there? He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was towards evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, Lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let this be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he'd finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, please give me a little drink from your jar. And so the next thing we're seeing here is that uh, Nahor, uh, not Nahor, we don't know the name of the servant, do we? The chief servant is, um, he's praying to God and he's saying, I, I want a woman to be, I want to meet a woman here who will be the bride of Isaac, my master's son. And so we see that he meets a woman at the well. And then what happens next? Um, so she, he's, 
He's saying to her, please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my Lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she'd given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they've had enough water to drink. And the third thing we see here is that water is drawn from the well. Rebecca draws water from the well. And then over the next few verses, we see a conversation between Rebecca and the servant. And um, he's talking to her about who she is, what family she's from. He gives her some jewelry. He tells her why he's there. And um, then in verse 28, it says, the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. She goes and she shares some news of this stranger with her family. And then in verse 29, Verse 29, it says, Now Rebecca had a brother named Laban, and he hurried out to the man uh, at the spring. As soon as he'd seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms, and had heard, Rebecca's, had heard Rebecca tell what the man said to her, and went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. Come, you who are blessed by the Lord, he said. Why are you standing here? I've prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man went to the house, and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were brought for the camels, and water for him and his men to wash their feet. Then food was set before him, and he said, I will not eat until I've told you what I have to say. And so we see here hospitality offered to the servant. The servant goes and has dinner with this family. And over the next few verses, we see the servant recount everything he knows, pretty much. He says everything that happened with Abraham back, way back when. He says, I'm here to find a wife for Isaac and Abraham has sent me. And then he tells uh, the family about how he met Rebecca at the well, how he'd been praying, how Rebecca came along and how he believes that Rebecca is the bride that he's to take for Isaac. And we read in verse 15, we skip down a bit, it says, Laban and Bethuel answered, this is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebecca, take her and go and let her become the wife of your master's son as the Lord has directed. And so we see a joining here of these two people, a joining of Isaac and Rebecca. Now this isn't a pattern yet, is it? I've kind of we've laid out some steps and some things that happen in this story, it's not a pattern, it's just one account that we're hearing at this point. One account does not a pattern make. Uh, but if we head down just one generation in a couple of chapters, we see a very, very similar thing start to unfold in chapter 29, Genesis chapter 29. In verse 1, then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. We're starting this account again with a journey. But, you know, it's not, that's not really the start of a pattern, is it? It's particularly when we're looking at these Old Testament scriptures, and they're often on journeys, aren't they? They're traveling from one place to another. They're heading around the place. Just the fact that a story starts with a journey doesn't mean it's part of the same pattern. But from verse 2, he's saying, we see um, there he saw a well, interesting, in the open country, uh, with three flocks of sheep lying near it, because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large, when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob asked the shepherds, my brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. He said to them, do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Then Jacob asked them, is he well? Yes, he is, they say. Uh, and here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. Look, he said, the sun is still high. It's not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. 
While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. And so we see the next step in this account is very similar, isn't it, to the last one. We see a woman come to the well and meet with this stranger that has been on a journey. That has been on a journey. And so what happens next? When Jacob saw Rachel's daughter of his uncle Laban and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. We see water again being drawn from the well. We see Jacob go and take water out of the well. And then following the same pattern through what happens next in verse um, 11, we can probably 11 and 12, we can probably guess. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. We see the woman that he meets at the well run back to her family, to her community, and take the news of this stranger back with her. So hopefully by this point, we're pretty convinced that we might be into a bit of a pattern here. We've got four of the six. Two-thirds is not too bad. Two out of three ain't bad. Although it's four out of six, but still. And so are we expecting, what are we expecting next? We're expecting hospitality next, aren't we? Should we see if we can find hospitality in verse 13 and 14? Here's a spoiler, we can. Uh, as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with them, oh yeah, Jacob stayed with them for a whole month. We see this hospitality. We see him being invited into the home of um, the community of the woman that he meets at the well. And so then we see quite a long period of seven years of Jacob working for, uh, Jacob working for Laban. And um, at the end of that, Leah and Rachel, both of them become the wives of Jacob. Both of them become the wives of Jacob. And so hopefully we can start to see a bit of a pattern forming. But maybe two, maybe two is just a coincidence. Now you'd be pleased to know we're not going to go verse by verse through the next one, but there is another one. There is another one in Exodus chapter two where we, um, we read of Moses. We read of Moses and we see a very similar pattern. We see that he journeys uh, to Midian, he journeys to Midian. He meets seven women at a well. He then, Moses then draws water from the well. The women go home and tell their father about Moses, this man that they've met at a well. And then Moses is invited to stay for dinner. And Zipporah, who's one of the women at the well, becomes Moses' wife. And so we've got this pattern that's outplaying through Old Testament scripture. Old Testament scripture. Um, an interesting thing to note as well is that Jacob... Isaac, oh, I should do, do the way it's not. Isaac, Jacob, and Moses, they're all important people through Scripture. They're all people that lead the nation. They're all people that are important. All people that are important. But, you know, sometimes there's a bit of a twist in a pattern, isn't there? And so we're going to look at John 4 and we're going to see what is different. Is it different? So opening John 4 from um, chapter 4, verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now we had to go through Samaria, so he uh, came to a town in Samaria called Sichar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And so we see this account in John chapter 4 starting with a journey, starting with Jesus traveling from Judea up to Galilee. But again, a journey, 
in Scripture does not a pattern make because Jesus and his disciples are traveling all over the place. Lots of accounts start with a journey. So it could be a similar pattern, but at this point, we're not really sure. Are we? We're not really sure. But just thinking about this journey that Jesus is taking, it says that he's going through Samaria from Judea, which is in the south of Israel, up to Galilee in the north, and he's going through Samaria. That wasn't the only route he could have taken. There are a few different routes from Judea up to Samaria, but the um, up to Galilee rather. But the one through Samaria was the shortest, and it was the one that most people would have taken. Even though there were tensions between the Jewish people and the Samaritans, um, the Jews would still take this journey through through Samaria. And so it's interesting that we see in here that um, it says that Jesus had to take this route. Because from a geography perspective, Jesus didn't have to take this route. He could have taken a longer route and avoided Samaria. But I like to think that it's saying here that Jesus had to take this route so that this encounter that we're about to read will have happened and so that we get to see this account and the story of Jesus. But as I say, Starting with a journey doesn't make a pattern, so we're going to have to do a bit better than that, aren't we, to, uh, to convince ourselves there's a pattern here. So from verse 6, it says, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by it. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. We've seen this pattern a few times, I haven't, we've seen it three times, and so after we've seen a pattern a few times generally, we don't need as many steps, do we, to realise we're on a similar pattern, we start to recognise it sooner. And so here we see Jesus meet a woman at a well. Is this Jesus about to meet a woman that will become a bride? Is it Jesus about to meet a woman that will become his bride? It's possible that the Jewish audiences reading the Gospel of John might have thought that that was what was going to happen because that's what they've seen before. That's what they've known before. They've seen a woman being met at the well and then this adjoining happening at the end, a marriage happening at the end. And Jesus asks her for a drink and we know what's next in the pattern, don't we? The next in the pattern is that water is drawn from the well. Water is drawn from the well. But in this case, and we're about to read that that isn't what happens next. The pattern here changes and it piques our interest. It makes us think, why? why is this different? What is different? What is different? It challenges us to think differently about it and to think about what we expect. And it challenges us to think, what does this teach us about Jesus? And if we remember, the purpose of John's gospel is to encourage us to come to our realization that Jesus is God. And so what is happening here? Is it to convince us that Jesus is God. From verse 9, it says, The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. As I mentioned a minute ago, tensions were high between the Jewish nation and the Samaritans. They had been for a long time. We're going to take a little brief history lesson, if, uh, if that's okay. Brief little history lesson. So in 722 BC, uh, the Assyrians came to Israel and they conquered Israel and they took a lot of the Jewish people off to exile. However, they left a few Jewish people in Israel and they also brought in a number of um, pagans to come and live in Israel with the remaining Jews. And those Jewish people and the pagans, they, um, they met and they got married and they had families and they, all of that happened. And then when the Israelites came back from exile, they were saying to the Jewish people that had still been there, these marriages need to be separated. These marriages need to be separated. And... Um, the Jews that had been left said, well, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. And so that was where the Samaritans were 
birthed from. And the Jewish nation are the ones that came back from exile. They came back from exile. Um, And in about 400 BC, the Samaritans built a temple to worship God on Mount Gerizim is what we're going to go with, Mount Gerizim. And that was not in Jerusalem. It was not the same place that the Jewish people went to worship God. So we've got these two separate places of worship. And that had been destroyed, that temple, by a Jewish king in 128 BC. And so the Jewish people and the Samaritans had quite a lot of reason to be quite cross with one another, to put it a bit mildly. And so Jesus' conversation with this woman is crossing quite a lot of lines, really. It's pushing quite a lot of boundaries. There's this ethnic tension between the fact that they are two separate groups and the tensions are high between them. And that bleeds into a religious uh, tension and a religious challenge. And there were differences there. Like I say, they had a different place of worship. But also the Samaritans, they only um, took into account the first five books of the Old Testament, and what is now our, our Bible. The first five books, the Pentateuch, is what the Samaritans would use, whereas the Jewish people had the prophets and the wisdom scripture as well. They had more of that in the history books. Um, but also some Samaritans had been not that long before up to the temple in Jerusalem and had kind of scattered some human remains in the temple courts and defiled the temple. And so things were not good between the Jews and the Samaritans. And also the woman at the well was a woman at the well. She was a woman at the well. She was there in the middle of the day when it was hot. And so chances are she was pretty much the only other person around. And we read in scripture that the disciples had gone into town to buy food. And so it was likely just Jesus and this woman talking at the well. And Jesus is pushing a lot of boundaries to have this conversation. But it's because he has something of God to share. It's because he has something of God to share. And so he is happy to do that. He's happy to push the boundaries for this this thing of God to be shared. And so maybe with this pattern that we're going through. Maybe the water thing, maybe it's just a blip. Maybe it's all going to be fine. Maybe a marriage might still happen. Let's find out. Let's read from verse 10. Jesus says, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So Jesus talks in these first few verses in this conversation of a gift of God and also who it is that gives it, who Jesus is. And those two things are um, they're quite related because um, the gift of God that we find out about says something of who God is and says something of who Jesus is. And so they kind of answer one another and we go around. And it says in here, the gift of God is living water. The gift I give you is living water. And the Jews might understand a little bit more about about this idea that about God and living water and the relationship that is happening here. And this is one of the reasons why it's so important that we draw from some of the richness of Old Testament scripture because it brings depth and it brings flavor and it brings revelation into some of the things that happen in the New Testament. Because the Jewish people would have understood God to be the spring of living water. If we look 
in Jeremiah. Um, Jeremiah chapter 2, 13, and Jeremiah chapter 17, 13. We have these two uh, bits of scripture. It says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. That's God saying that he is the spring of living water. And in chapter 17, verse um, 13 as well, we see... Let me get the right page. Um, Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. And so the Jewish people who have these... um, these books, they have Jeremiah, they know what went on, they know that God is the spring of living water. And so the readers of John at the time would have known that that's where Jesus was going with this. But if you remember, I mentioned that the Samaritans and this Samaritan lady only looked at the first five books of the Bible. And so she wouldn't know what's written in Jeremiah. She wouldn't know that God is the spring of living water. And so she's asking him about natural water. She's saying, give me some of this water so that I won't have to keep coming and making this journey out in the middle of the day to get water. And sometimes when we read this kind of thing in scripture, we feel a little bit embarrassed for people, don't we? Like we feel a little bit embarrassed for this woman. Like, how are you not understanding what's happening here? How are you not understanding? But how often do we not understand? How often do we not see what Jesus is doing? How often do we have to have something right in front of us and fully explain before we grasp these things of God? We feel embarrassed for people in scripture when they do silly things, but it's because we have a vantage point that is different to theirs. And Jesus is patient with us when we miss what he's doing in our lives, when he's, we miss things and he has to be super obvious with us. And Jesus is patient with this lady as well. He's patient with this lady. He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Do you know what I think is really interesting in here? And I actually only caught it as I was reading, rereading through some of this um, yesterday. It says that the water that Jesus gives them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life that in us we will have a spring of water and we know that God is the spring of living water and Jesus is going to give us this ability to have the presence of God dwell within us to have the spring of living water in us that will well up to eternal life that will well up to eternal life that's what Jesus came to bring us and to quench our thirst it says that we will never thirst now, that doesn't mean that we literally will never thirst. It doesn't, like, from a physical perspective, we still need to drink water. It doesn't even mean, actually, that we won't feel frustrated or discontent or unhappy or frustrated with whatever our situation is. It doesn't mean that either, that we won't have dissatisfaction. But God, Jesus, we read of as we read through Scripture, and we will read further on, is that he sent the Holy Spirit in his place. He said, I'm going... I'm going to, after I've been crucified, I'm going up to be with the Father, but I will send the Holy Spirit. I will send one to comfort you. And he sends the Holy Spirit that lives in us, that gives us a spring of living water. And first, it's that relationship with God that brings us eternal life. And it, reads, it says in the scripture here that the spring of living water will bubble up 
It will well up to eternal life because of the relationship that we have with God that leads to eternal life. But also it means we'll have this intimacy between us and God that we won't have to um, thirst after that relationship with God anymore because the presence of God will be within us. The presence of God will be within us. But the lady, she still thinks, she's still thinking about the natural. Jesus explains twice about what's happening and she's still just asking, I want some, this, where is this water? Where is this actual physical liquid that I can drink that's going to make my life easier? She's still interested in the physical because she needs to see more of who Jesus is before she understands. And sometimes that's us, isn't it? I don't know what each of your journeys have been. I don't know how many times you... Uh, were introduced to Jesus before you saw him for who he is. Maybe you haven't yet seen Jesus for who he is, but sometimes we need to see more before we can understand for ourselves. And we need to be patient with people around us that we are presenting Jesus to, and they're not getting it. They're not understanding. They're asking us what we feel are the wrong questions. They're just not seeing it. But we need to be patient with our family and our friends around us, just as Jesus is patient with us, and Jesus is patient with this lady. In verse 18... Um, no, not verse 18 at all, verse 16, sorry. Um, it says, uh, Jesus told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you were right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. Uh, what you've said to me is quite true. What you've said to me is quite true. This is another example, I guess, of, of Jesus seeing into the heart of us. We've seen a few of these things. You know, we talked about patterns and recurring themes and things and how we get to see more of those when we see a book together. We've seen through John, as we've looked at it, that Jesus sees us and he knows us and we feel seen by Jesus. And this is another, just another example. Just another example of that. And carrying on, it says, uh, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I am he. Jesus, through this last bit of interaction here, he reveals even more of himself to this woman to the point where he says to her, I am the Messiah. And again, these recurring things that keep coming up, Dom spoke the other week about how we often hear, don't we? Jesus never said the words, I am God. But he's making it clear to this woman here, I am the Messiah. I'm the one that you've been waiting for. And then we learn through other things that we piece together that the, the, the Messiah, that Jesus is God is God. So Jesus is revealing himself in this bit. He's saying that he is God. He is the spring of living water. He's saying that we'll have this, the Holy Spirit will have this spring of water for ourselves, quenching our thirst for a relationship with God. We see that he is a God that sees into the heart of us. He tells us that salvation is coming and that soon we'll be able to worship in spirit and truth, regardless of who we are, whether we're Jewish, whether we're Samaritan, whether we're otherwise, we'll be joined with the Father and we'll be able to worship in spirit and truth. And finally, he says, I am the Messiah, the one that everyone has been waiting for to bring salvation. And so 
Back to the pattern that we've been establishing. I think we can be pretty certain at this point that no one is drawing any water from the well, that instead the water that we see spoken of in this pattern is Jesus talking of the living water that he can bring, the living water that he can bring. But the question, I guess, then is, but are we going to get back on track? Are we going to get back on track? Is news next? Is news next? The answer is yes. A little spoiler for you. Um, in verse 27, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Messiah? We see here this woman and she takes the story of the stranger that she's met at the well and she goes back to her community to share this. But you know what I think is amazing about this woman is that she's saying, she's running to a community and saying, come and see. But this woman is out in the middle of the day collecting water when it's really hot, not like the other women that we read of right back in Genesis, and they're not the same women, but this idea that going out in the evening when it's cooler, that makes more sense, doesn't it? There's more people there in the evening, but she's not. She's gone out in the day because she's had five husbands, and she's now with this man who's not her husband, this sixth man, and she's probably full of shame, and that's why she's going out in the middle of the day, but her excitement of understanding who Jesus is goes above all of that goes past all of that, pushes through the shame of everything. And she's just so excited. Come and see this man. He's told me everything that I've ever done. Everything I've ever done. And, and is he the Messiah? Is he the one? Come and see. She goes and shares the news. And then in verse 39, we read, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. So now we're back in this pattern, aren't we, of hospitality, that these people are offering for Jesus to stay with them. And so maybe then we're thinking, well, maybe the water thing was just a blip. Maybe that's just the only bit that's different, and we're still going to see a marriage. Maybe Jesus is still going to marry this woman at the well. Maybe one of the disciples is going to marry. So like, this woman at the well has got to get married to someone, surely, because that is what we see in this pattern. And, you know, we do see a joining. We do see a joining, but it's not a marriage as we expect. It's not a marriage as we expect. Um... In verses 23 and verses 24 that we've already read, Jesus explains this coming time where he says, there'll be a time when neither Jew nor Samaritan, it doesn't matter. You won't need to worship in the temple. You won't need to worship on the mountain. We'll all be able to come together and worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Jesus is talking about this different bonding, this different joining, this different relationship that we're about to enter into as a whole, as the whole of humanity. The whole of humanity in verse 41, and because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. We see these people confessing a faith in Jesus. We see salvation of a community. We see not a joining in terms of a marriage between a man and a woman, but we see a joining of a community of people with their creator. We see a community of people who believe that Jesus is the Messiah and who receive for themselves the spring of living water that bubbles up and wells up to eternal life. You know, in showing us this pattern that we've been through, in showing us this pattern, John is highlighting 
He's highlighting the areas where it's different because that draws our attention more, doesn't it? We're more interested in the areas of this pattern that are slightly different because it's, it's interesting and it's challenging and it's nuanced. And why are these things different? And it's because in this account, those two things are the crux of the thing and they're the thing that convinces us that Jesus is God. When we look at the water and how that's different, we look at this living water that God comes to give us, this spring within us, that God is the spring of living water and it can be within us. We can have the Holy Spirit for ourselves and it gives us eternal life. It gives us salvation. It gives us, it quenches our thirst for a relationship with God. And that's what's different here. And the joining is different. The joining piques our interest because we see that we can be joined with our creator. We can be joined with our creator. And, you know, we can spot patterns like this in scripture. The more scripture that we read, the more scripture that we hear of, the more studying that we do, we can spot more and more of these patterns. And I'm sure that in a lifetime, we wouldn't spot all the patterns that God has woven through scripture for us to find. You know, just as the more films we watch and the more books we read, we start to recognize patterns, don't we? The more we soak ourselves in scripture, the more of these patterns that we see. This isn't just something for those that share from the platform to find for themselves. We get to, each of us gets to do this. Each of us gets to pick up scripture and read it and engage with it and spot these patterns and get excited about it. Get excited about it. And then these twists that we see, these little differences, they reveal something more to us of who God is. Reveal something more to us of who Jesus is, just like we see here. And so this morning, maybe... Maybe we're excited. I'm excited to remember that I am joined to Jesus, that I am joined to the creator, that I have the spring of living water inside of me because of what Jesus did for me. And maybe that's what you've taken away from this morning, that it's exciting to be joined to Jesus. Maybe it's that we want to be inspired by this woman to overcome any shame that we might have in sharing. You know, she went and she ran and she said, come and see because what I've found is amazing. Who I have found is amazing. And she overcame shame to do that. Maybe that's our encouragement for this morning. Or maybe our encouragement for this morning is that we've been introduced to Jesus a few times. Maybe this is the first time we've been introduced to Jesus, but suddenly we're like that woman and we're seeing that Jesus, we maybe we've been confused and wanting to just think of things naturally. And now we're seeing that Jesus is beyond the natural, that Jesus is something more, that Jesus is our God. And I'd love to give an opportunity this morning for us to respond in whatever way we need to this morning. So I'm going to ask if everyone can bow their heads and close their eyes and I'd love to pray for us this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that there is so much richness in it, richness that even in a lifetime, we will never uncover. Even in a lifetime of reading other people's exploration of your scripture, we will never find everything that you've hidden in here for us, Lord. I thank you that scripture is rich and that it teaches us of who you are, not just so that we can know who you are, but that we can love who you are, that we can be changed by who you are, that we can be, that we can have this relationship with you, Lord, that quenches our thirst for intimacy with the creator God. Lord, I pray that this morning that we would be excited as we remember again the spring of living water that's inside us, that we would be excited as we remember that we get to be joined with God through your sacrifice, Jesus, on the cross. That through your sacrifice, through your death and resurrection, you created a way for us. You created a way for us to have the Holy Spirit within us, Lord. And I pray that each of us would 
would remember that this week more than we remember our shame, more than we remember our embarrassment, more than we remember anything else, that we would remember, that we would remember, Lord, that you are good, that you are good, and that we would want to share that. And Lord, I pray for anyone in this room this morning who's making a decision to follow you for the first time. Lord, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you for the gift of salvation. I thank you that, that every day across this world, more people come to know you. More people come to see you for who you are. More people say, I think this guy is the Messiah. I think he's the Christ. I think he is God. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for that, Lord. Amen. That's all for now. We pray that you heard something that brought life to you today so that you may go and be the person that God called you to be. God bless you.